Kimberly, the uh, mic is near you. Do you mind opening us in prayer? <clears throat> caught you, caught you mid dig there. Dear gracious heavenly Father, we come to you right now with humble and gracious and just adoration to you, Father. We come together, the body of Christ here at Fourth Avenue, just in awe of your majesty, Father, and the gift that you gave us in your precious Son Jesus Christ. Thank you for the beautiful lesson that was taught this morning on Mark by the lovely ladies up there, and we just appreciate the gift and the healing and the restoration and the reconciliation of your son, Jesus. May you bless this lesson that's being distributed. May he be empowered by your Holy Spirit, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Kimberly. And uh, welcome to everybody that's streaming in with us also this morning. And uh, I think it's always appropriate on a morning like this, what we were able to experience in our, in our church gathering. What? Just to say thank God for the giftedness of the people that we have here. Uh, David coming in in this season. Uh, Grace and Micaiah sharing uh, the gospel with us. But the other thing I appreciate in times like this, I, I'm reminded from time to time, there are some churches that don't have, I'm not picking on this, but their, their appreciation for the depth of preaching and teaching and diving into the word of God is not, uh, not as much as some others. So one of the things I love about this place is that you all appreciate engaging scripture and, and diving in and i see that in this class certainly see it in our worship setting as well so thank you for being a place that appreciates um good preaching people living out scripture uh with word but also in life as i look around and see that with all the people that i know and and getting to know uh you live it out powerfully so thank you for for being a community that fosters the depth of the word of god that means something um, we're, we're diving uh, back into that here in our conversation we're doing in this uh, class we call uh, Life Together, uh, off of the title of the book that uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote some years ago, In a Chaotic World, seemed fitting for us to look at that today. Here's, a, here's what I, I think about for the text that we're going to get into today. Um, uh, earlier this week, I had the chance to spend um, six hours on two different days with our newest deputies. Um, at the sheriff's office. So one of the things I get to do, you, you've probably heard before, anytime we have a new crop of new deputies coming in, there is a, an entire training academy for them. They get tased, they get sprayed, pepper sprayed, all that wonderful stuff. And on their graduation day, it shows the pictures of them. I love, it seems to be the biggest guys. Josh, no offense, seems to be the biggest, strongest, toughest guys. The ones that cry the loudest when they get tased, when they <laughs> scream, they go down, it's awesome. So they do all of that, but then they also bring in some other folks, and I have the opportunity to go in and teach a couple of classes um, that I inherited from the uh, previous uh, sheriff, who's now in the governor's office. Um, and one of one of them's on law. It's boring. It's as boring to me as it would be to anybody else. But the one that I love is on ethics and leadership, which in a setting like this, I say I basically share the gospel and quote Aristotle instead of Jesus. That's kind of the way I think about it. It's my Paul's Athens sermon, if you're familiar with that in the Book of Acts. But here's what I love every time we have a chance to think about what, what I'm trying to kind of tease our deputies with is not just training for a job as a uh, sheriff's deputy, but training for life as a man of God or a woman of God as the case may be. And, and one of the things I want to introduce to them, and literally I use Aristotle instead of Jesus, but I think it's a Jesus thing too, is what is the calling that you have on your life, not just to get a paycheck, but what you're doing. 
And, and in fact, here's, here's the way that, that I think about it, and kind of I won't give you the, the full thing that I share with them, but I think it's meaningful for us to talk about from time to time. Aristotle, many, many years ago, wrestled with the question that all of us as human beings have wrestled in every generation, in every culture, in every society. Uh, the question we wrestle with is, am I a good human being or not? Not perfect, but am I, am I a good human being? Is, is my life something I'd be proud of? And that's true individually, we wrestle with that question, and we find ourselves in a season where we're doing this as a church, and some of you are helping us do that, right? Are, are we a good, healthy, vibrant, spiritual community, and what does it look like for us to do that? Now, here's the thing Aristotle said that I think is so helpful, and I think Jesus says the same thing. It's just in slightly different language. But he said, if you're wrestling with that question, just think about what you have to know to answer that question for anything, right? I use a different analogy with the cops. I'll just, top of my head, uh, do you have a good lawnmower or not? What do you have to know? Right, and I know some people. It's kind of it's kind of funny. We we we've fallen into watching these shows on TV. Melly will laugh with me. Um, it's like a roadkill garage and all the, these people that just kind of take junk on the side of the road and soup it up. And there was one my kids showed me of souping up a. Um, you'll appreciate this, Zach. The little knee thing, whatever. So they kind of souped it up and did all this kind of stuff. Here's the thing: you could soup up a lawnmower and you could have it like climbing walls and stuff. But if it doesn't cut grass, it's not a good lawnmower, right? So again, Aristotle's idea, what do you have to know to answer the question, is this a good blank? What do you have to know? The purpose that it's made for, right? So you can do a thousand different things, but if it doesn't serve its purpose, it's not a good whatever. Does that make sense? Well, Aristotle said if that's true about a lawnmower, I've been talking about lawnmowers, if, it's, if that's true for any number of things, it's true for a human life as well or a human community. What is our purpose? So as I share with our deputies, I invite you to think about this. All of us will have different times and stages in our lives. We'll have what we call a mirror moment. We look in the mirror and say, how am I doing? Not perfect. We're not going up to perfection. But is my life going in a direction that's fulfilling the purpose for which I'm on the planet? I think it's important for us to wrestle with individually and, as we're doing right now, again, communally. Why are we here? And, and that's one of the things that I love about this book. It was written, you know, decades ago. But it was wrestling with that question in a time when many people who were claiming to be followers of Jesus missed it. Like literally the calling to be the church of Jesus in a time when people are being killed for their race. And the church there missed it largely. And it's no surprise that Bonhoeffer, as part of his conversation, will ask that question. Why are we here as a spiritual body and spiritual community? Well, again, we, we're not basing this on the book itself. We're, we're, we're letting his voice come in, and I'll bring that in in a little bit, and we can talk about that. But I want to go to Scripture. And I keep finding myself drawn back to the book of Ephesians because it's one of those books that keep wrestling with that question. What does it look like to be the church of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to be the body of Christ? A great book to live in for those on the committee and those of us that are praying for those people on it. So I'm going to encourage you to go to Ephesians chapter 3. And I'm going to look at um, two, uh, basically 2 through 13, and then we'll kind of zero in one chunk at a time and do what we do. We share. Um, this is one of those great places. I could start in verse 1. But Paul interrupts himself, right? One of the things I appreciate about Paul. I'll talk about something, and I'll get on a rabbit trail. So he starts out, I, I'm a prisoner for Jesus, and then he stops in mid-sentence. You can picture him doing this. He dictated his letters. In verse 2, this is what he says. Ephesians 3, verse 2. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace. 
Now don't let those heavy words kind of miss what's going on. He's talking about his calling as an apostle of the Gentiles. You've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Remember we saw last week, we looked at Ephesians, many, most of the people he's talking to are Gentiles. You heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. That's what we'll focus on at the beginning, but let's read the rest of the section to feel the context. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, let's just focus on that first paragraph. Let me read that again. And as we always do, what do you hear here? Is there a word, a line, a phrase about who we are? Because that's that question. Who are we as followers of Jesus in the body of Christ or anything else that grabs you here? What, what, what grabs you? Verse 2. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. What do you notice? Everyone is the same in the eyes of Christ. Yes. Gentiles and Jews are the same. Yes, we're the same in the sense that we belong, right? He will then talk about some uniqueness that we bring to the body, but in terms of our belonging, getting in on, which we talked a lot about last week too, there will always be some, we said this last week, there'll be some battle, some struggle in our lives to fit in, to belong to something. And as Kenley said beautifully, um, everybody belongs in this body. What else? more important text or this section of the text in this context of identifying who we are as Christ's church in the body. That he became a servant of the gospel. Yes, yes. So Paul, you'll see this, you'll see this picture. There's, there's the sense of what God is doing and there's a sense of how he fits in, which is exactly this thing. Like, who am I going to be in the world? Well, I need to know a sense of purpose. And Paul says, I've got now my purpose. My purpose is to be a servant of this good news. 
this Jesus good news stuff, this mystery he talks about. What else? There's a sense, I'll repeat it, a sense of unifying, bringing together Jews and Gentiles. Again, that's not our issue today, but it was certainly back then, right? I think it's important for us to remember, sometimes I'll read a passage of Scripture like it's only, like it's talking in this moment for all time. Obviously, there's a truth for all time, but this is very targeted, right? I believe if, if Paul were writing this today, he would talk about, because this is the way he describes what you said, this unity of Jew and Gentiles. He used this, this word that was a powerful word in their day, mystery. Here's the mystery. People didn't know the mystery for a long time. Now the mystery is being revealed by the Holy Spirit to the leaders in the community he'll talk about later first, the apostles and prophets. And by the way, don't just think apostles as in the 12. Think of those who were called to a ministry larger than the local body. We understand that they're apostles today, not capital A, they get to write scripture, but there are people who are called to serve the body of Christ in larger than just the local capacity. Sometimes it's a speaker, sometimes it's a college professor, sometimes it's a writer or whatever. Uh, there are folks that are called in a larger way. And he said the Holy Spirit's working through those and working through the prophetic community, those who have a gift to say, here's what I see God saying. And they wrestle with that in the prophetic community. We have folks that are growing in that gift, even in our church today. Again, not in some weird, oh, we're declaring the book of Isaiah, but we're praying as a body right now. God, would you speak to us about the future of your church? And Paul says, here's what's going on right now. Right now, this mystery is being revealed of a bringing together between the Jews and the Gentiles. Isn't it powerful that Paul says, there's been a secret that's been kept, like the Old Testament prophets were speaking about this. And elsewhere, I think it's in 1 Peter, he says they didn't know what they were talking about. Even angels longed to lurk, look into what would be the spinning out of the gospel predictions. And Paul says, can you, can you believe it? Here's the mystery. The mystery is you who were outsiders now get in. And you who were insiders and thought you were enough now have other people coming in helping you see what the gospel is about. Right? So I'm convinced if Paul were writing this today, it, it, he might not be talking about Jew and Gentile. He might be talking about... Um, uh, red states and blue states coming together in one body. He might be talking about black and white coming together in one body. There's any number of things he might be talking about. He, the mystery isn't just Jew and Gentile. The mystery is that, as Kimberly said, all sorts of different people coming from different giftedness and walk of life find their place in the one body of Christ. And he calls it a mystery. Uh, again, that was technical language back in the day, a little historical note that will help this uh, hopefully pop off the page for you. When Paul was writing this text, there were all sorts of different, what they called mystery religions. Has anybody heard this? Different mystery religions. What a mystery religion was, uh, and most of them were kind of pagan religions, where there were insiders and outsiders. And the only way that you got to be really part of the mystery religion is that you had some epiphany. You had some great insight, like God would split the heavens, and all of a sudden, later on, after the New Testament time, in 50 years or so, it gets fully blown into this group called the Gnostics, or Gnosticism. You might have heard that bounced around. There are seeds of it in the New Testament. All Gnostic means, the word is knowledge. So think about this. There are some who are in the know, and there are some who aren't. And 
what you wanted more than anything else is to be the folks that got the secret. I got the secret sauce. I'm the one who knows the mystery. I'm on the inside. Now, what does Paul say? He spins it for a culture of insiders and outsiders, of people who are given the mystery and those who weren't. Paul says, what's my job? To tell the secret so that who? Everybody gets in the know. Everybody gets to be told the secret in the mystery and the story. Does that make sense? So there's not an inside group and an outside group. There are those who know and those who don't, and we all get to share in the mystery of Christ. Does that make sense? I think it's powerful. Paul says, man, there is a mystery religion. The problem is God wants everybody to know it, and you don't have to be an outsider. And you're not better off if you're an insider. You just have the responsibility to be a servant, Paul says, of the good news that we share to other people. Does that become sense? Yeah, don't move your mask down, man. I think you're ready to talk. Other thoughts on that? All right, keep, keep looking at this. Let's read the next section here in verses 7 through 11. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach, to proclaim, to share to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, and I would say even now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged about my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. Let me read it again. And listen, this is a good time to listen for it. It's heavy language, but listen for a word or phrase to grab you, and let's unpack this, because this, I think, is really important for where we are as a church. I became a servant of this gospel, this good news, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. What do you notice? Could be a phrase, could be a, a word, something here about who we are in Jesus Christ. But now through the church, in verse 10... His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That, when you talk about what's our purpose, it seems like it hits it just as, as far as the church, what we should be doing every day. Incredible power. Like, what grabs you about that? I mean, what, why are you drawn to that thing? I think, to me, this is, let's talk about a bunch of them, but I want to camp here because I have skated past this. 
again and again. What grabs you about that, Keith? Anything? Um, well, just the huge responsibility of it. Yeah. Um, is one thing um, that within us we can we have the ability to share the wisdom of God, right. which to me seems like almost impossible. Right. That yeah, you know, I don't even know if I can grab grasp right. the wisdom of God. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's really what gets me. And and we're declaring this, right? Yeah, David, you're gonna say something. Just this oh, Keith, burden. Oh, you're good. Go ahead. You um, can do that. We're, we're this church, uh, you, you know, we just can't we can't just put the vision out there. It's got to be seen in the in the in the body of Christ. Yes. And the the manifold wisdom of God that God has for this church. You know, I mean, that's what happens when you feel it for the world and you start Yes, that visible thing. We talked about this last week. The visible community matters. David, right behind you, is going to say something. Please. Yeah, just that, uh, that part in that passage, it's being revealed to uh, rulers and authority in the heavenly places. Yes. That's, I mean, what you said about the body. The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, they have witnessed God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit living in community forever right 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 at least as long as those heavenly beings have been created but they've they've watched that but they've not understood the mystery until that community then was extended through jesus it was extended to the body of christ to the church yeah and then right it's not because they not see it before that but for some reason that mystery didn't click in the minds of the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places until they saw it in the people in the creation of God. Yep. Being some deep stuff going on throughout yes. Jew, Gentile, throughout all the corners of the world. Yep. That, 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 that blows my mind. Absolutely. And keep passing the mic back. It's going. <laughs> we, got a little, we got a little row going. I'm loving it. Okay. It's too loud. started to download this book this week and before I got to it I got to the cost of discipleship yes that's a powerful book yeah boy howdy and in looking at Paul using the word grace there's he talks about cheap grace and he talks about real grace yep and when Paul uses the word grace this is someone who murdered Christians thinking he was doing the right thing yes and then in that book it also talks about Jesus saying to disciples come and follow me now and he left everything they had and just followed him and that's kind of what Paul did here you know he he converted to Jesus he gave up his whole career yeah. he was he had it made all he had to do was keep being a Pharisee and sure. he would have been successful money rich, status power and yep. he when and and so he gave he walked right away from that and being someone who killed Christians and the guilt that would come with that and yet he's living in grace what I see is he has an understanding of grace that I guess we can only aspire to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because it, it ain't, it wasn't cheap for him. No. Uh, the other thing is in, I should have said it earlier, but in uh, verse 6, when he talks about heirs, mm-hmm. yes. I derive great comfort from that term. Uh, and it kind of has to do with uh, what we think of the term of something that's a vested. Mm. You know, when you, it used to be when you bought a, 
piece of real estate. You'd act, back in the old days, they didn't have deeds. You went out there and they would get a clump of, of dirt and hand it to you, and mm. that transferred title yeah. to the property. That's when the property vested in you. Right. Think of it as a, uh, uh, remember the old magic markers that said, don't get this on clothes, it will indelibly <laughs> stain it. <laughs> yes. That's what heirship is. I can't mm. change who my parents are. Now, I could be adopted by someone else. I can renounce it. Right. But I'm going to inherit from God unless I renounce it because it's vested because I'm his heir. Right. That's uh, I find a lot of comfort in that. That's powerful. That's powerful. Now, now you're going to the Ph.D. level of uh, Bonhoeffer's writing. You're going cost and disciples. His his classic he's more known for is a, an extended reflection on the Sermon on the Mount. And it is one of the most powerful writings in all of Christian history, in, in my opinion. Um, and, and he has this whole section you probably heard maybe have heard some references this before where he talks about the difference between costly grace real grace and cheap grace and his uh, kind of a summary of that he said cheap grace is grace without discipleship it says oh great i'm in i'm cool i'm good but it doesn't cost anything for it, it, he said if nothing can be cheap if it costs god everything <laughs> so it's free but it's not cheap does that make sense i don't have to do anything to earn it but as I receive it, it will cost me everything to appreciate, experience the wonder of this gift. And I love that you bring that out. Paul is working out of a grace place where he wasn't before. So he's driven by the idea that I've been given a gift. There's a gift to know that God is at work in such a way that people that were torn apart before, who couldn't even sit in the same house together before, now belong to each other so deeply that like we talked about last week, you may need the word of God coming to you from a person that you wouldn't even eat with a month before. Does that make sense? Paul says this is a mystery that you need and belong to each other in such radical ways, not because you're important, not because you're super, that's great, but because Jesus is living in you in such a way you come together in the body of Christ in ways that you couldn't before. So that's a part of it. And, and here's the picture I get. I love that Paul roots his identity in a bigger picture. And again, I can't, can't unpack this with my deputies, but, but the gospel always becomes more sweet to me when I'm talking to a room of people that I can't completely unpack it to. Does that make any sense? Because you know you have these moments where you're talking with somebody and, and you see it in them. The hunger for something, you know what I'm saying? You see it in them, a brokenness that longs to be healed or a passion that longs to fit into something more than just making money. You know what I'm talking about? And it's so cool, Paul says, I get to tell people, here's where you fit. And he fits, he said, first of all, I understand my role is not the teacher guru that I thought it was. He was a PhD guy that was telling everybody what was right and wrong. And if you went the wrong way, he'd kill you for it. He said, that's not, here is my job. Now, I am a suffering servant for the good news of Jesus because I found the guy who was a suffering servant in the first place. Make sense? Now, again, I want to go all the way back to what Keith was saying. And several of you have been unpacked. Go back to that verse. It says God's intent was to make known the manifold wisdom of God through the church. Fancy language. Manifold is the word kaleidoscope in Greek. The multifaceted, think of a diamond turning with the colors in it. The, the richness of the vision of God's purposes can only come out, he says, through the church. But it, it, it isn't to the world. Did you catch this? You brought this out, David. Who is seeing the manifold wisdom of God when the church is the church? Who is it according to the text? You can yell it loud and proud. We don't have to bring the mic. Who is it that sees it? 
Rulers and authorities where? In the heavenly realms. We're not talking about the White House. <laughs> We're not talking about the governor's mansion. Something, do I understand all of this? No, but here's what he says. When the church is the church, even the demons shudder. The four, the, I don't understand all of it, and people can get off on it too much, and I'm not going to make a whole hierarchy of demons and all kind of stuff, but here's what I understand. That there are structures of power in the heavenly realms of evil that are trying to tear our world apart and your heart, that are trying to tear your family apart and the world. And here's what happens. When the church is the church, they wake up and say, oh my gosh. You hear me? It's not just that we get to tell the gospel story to the world, like the entire heavenly realms sees something about God when we love each other across crazy radical lines. Are you seeing what I'm saying? Uh, the language Bonhoeffer will use for this is he said the spiritual community, the community of believers is a divine reality. Like something spiritual and crazy is going on. Something mystical happens when you forgive somebody only because of Jesus. Something cosmic happens. When you love somebody you have no business loving because of Jesus. I don't understand all of that, but can we just take it in for a moment and say, oh my gosh, like I could go out tomorrow and like make a paycheck or I could shake the cosmos by loving someone. Whoa, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Right? Paul says, I, I thought I had it all. And now all of a sudden I realize I'm, I'm a role player in a cosmic, colossal, world-shaking, universe-shaking story in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Um, I was just thinking the other part of it um, is that God, just for the, you know, the demonic authorities witnessing it, that God did not, he had the people, the Israelites, that he said, these are my people. But then he, he was like, guess what? Everybody's my people. You know what I mean? Like, my spirit can be in anyone. And that's, you know what I mean? That's That shakes up the whole story. Because for a while, they think, well, yeah, we've got our people too in a way but all of a sudden nope everybody belongs to God and they can belong and he put his spirit in them so it's not about nationality anymore it's not about race it's not about anything but that God is in us so that part I think probably shakes up the world of the demonic too absolutely and, and again I know some of this is like I, I'm, I'm admitting to you this is like too deep for my brain but I do think there's a place Part of what Bonhoeffer is trying to say, put it together with last week, do not take for granted the gift we're sitting in right now. There is something mystically powerful, something mysterious that is breaking out when the church simply is the church. Proclaiming um, the praise of God in a gathering like this, but then living it out in service and care and sacrifice and Paul's case, suffering for the sake of the other. And I love, David, that you brought this back to the origination of community. Community has always existed for eternity. There is not a single solitary individual God. There is God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has lived in eternal, listen to this, self-giving love. The Father gives to the Son, and the Son gives to the Father, and the Holy Spirit is dancing among them, as the Greek 
uh, thinkers used to say some years ago. God has been living eternally in self-giving love, and something mysterious happens when, oh boy, I'm so far away from that. But when I start putting my toes in the water with the gift God has given me, the opportunity God has given me to do this. Now, by the way, Paul's gift is not everybody else's gift. Most of you are probably not called to be an apostle to Gentiles, right? I mean, to some degree you are. But we all have different gifts in this mix, but we all are serving the same larger purpose when I find out who I am and what personality I have and experience I have, I fit it into this cosmic purpose of God. And that goes to back to 1 Corinthians 12, 27, when he talks about all the different various gifts yes. that the body of Christ has. Yeah. Which then goes back to where he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. We didn't have the opportunity like Paul did to be revealed these things, although he is suffering over those things. We, though, have the body of Christ, each other, in that gift, going back to 1 Corinthians 12, 17, 27, to then uh, build each other up. And where I may be weak in my faith right now, you may not be. So right. you speak to me. You speak yes. the word of God back yep. to me yep. for my need. The same goes for if you're weak in a certain area, I speak the word of God back to you. That's the whole spiritual, um, Holy Spirit working within this body of believers in this body of Christ. We have power, and we need to speak that word of God to each other when we're in need. So. Absolutely. And that reminds me, again, just rem reminder and review of where we were last week. Last week, we kind of pulled out of Bonhoeffer's book this, this kind of mysterious little statement where he said, the Christ in your brother or sister is stronger than the Christ in you. And like, okay, there's ways in which that's certainly not true. The Holy Spirit's in me is the same as the Holy Spirit in you. So what does he mean by that? He goes on to say, there are times when I can only hear the word of God through my brother or sister. I can't get there on my own, whether it's an obstacle or whatever. And it was so funny this week, because we talked about that last week, right? And, um, this week, I met with our, our, a little discipleship group. I was on on Mondays, and at the end, it was just two of us. And I shared with this guy um, this thought. And I'm like, kind of unpacked it. And I said, I don't know what this means, but here was my thought, I, you know, that, that I can see in other people sometimes the good or the blind spots, and other people can see my blind spots and the good in me. I won't admit myself. And so we had this little time. And it was funny because earlier in the conversation, I had shared with him some things I was struggling with with my own uh, adequacy in terms of a ministry situation I'm trying to work with, and I'm always grading myself, and I'm always grading myself down, and he spoke life into me, and then by the end, we're literally walking out to the car, and he's talking about something else, and I spoke life into him, and I stopped, and I said, dude, we just did it, like we literally just did what Bonhoeffer was talking, it was so cool, right, I, I, I throw that out to you to say, I'm begging, at least for me, but I hope for all of us, that when we're reading these things, we've read our whole life, like look for opportunities this week for God to make it real. Look for an opportunity this week where you might do something. Diane, you talk so beautifully about this and the way you speak life to people across racial lines or whatever. Understand when you do things like that and look for an opportunity this week. Here's what I want you to understand. Whether you see it or not, which you probably won't see it, like the cosmos is shaking in the room. Like something is being declared to the universe when we do something. So don't you think God's powerful enough that we read it here and we don't just walk out saying, oh, I know, I, I know a little bit more about what this verse means. No, we'll have an opportunity. I promise you, Holy Spirit, I ask for this. This week you'll have a chance to live this out in the life of somebody else. All right? Now I want to 
one more piece of this, and then let's bring Bonhoeffer's voice into this. Um, Flip one chapter over. This goes exactly where Kimberly was going, but in the same book. um, Very well-known passage. Again, I commend this to those who are praying for our committee, those on the committee. This is what we're trying to live out in a season like this right now. Look in verse 11. So Christ himself, uh, by the way, the setting for this is in, in, in the first part of the chapter, one, 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 one Lord, one faith, one baptism, we're all one body, right? We're all the same. And second part, we're not all the same. <laughs> we're all one, we all belong, but we all have different gifts. So this is what he says. There's gifts of leadership first in verse 11, then watch how it expands to everybody. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. Uh, the, the Greek word there is works of ministry. Quickly, you know this, but let's unpack it. Who are the ministers of the church? All of us. We're not hiring the minister. You are it. What we are looking for is someone that shares in this leadership thing. And again, we've talked on this before. I'm going to keep sharing it because I feel like this season of my life, I, I've missed this my, my whole life. I thought leadership structure was about ministers and elders. No, there's a five-fold gifted ministry here. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. That's what it takes to build a church. Apostles, again, don't think capital A. I need to hear what's going on in other churches. That's why part of our committee is saying, what is the Holy Spirit doing in other churches that don't even have our name on it? We need some apostolic vision. What would happen when the early apostles would go around doing stuff, they would come back and report to the larger church, here's what the Holy Spirit's doing. That's how the church grew. They're like, in Jerusalem, we don't see a lot of Gentiles come and hang out with us, but in Antioch it is, so maybe we ought to pay attention. See what I'm saying? We need to hear the voices of people who are bouncing around and, and, and have a, a voice beyond just the local church. Prophets, we need to listen to those in our church who are praying and say, I, I, I don't know, it's not, thus says the Lord. I, I, I see this, I had this dream, I had this scripture, I had this thought, what do you think about this? And we bring it together. Apostles, prophets, evangelists. I, I have prayed for this gift my whole life, beating beat myself up because I'm not somebody who naturally does this. That's not my gift. Doesn't mean I don't. Look, I was doing it this week. But there's some people whose passionate sold-outness is for people who don't already know the gospel. And we need people like that to never let us forget what it's like to get too comfortable for people to come in, right? And what are we hiring? A pastor. We're praying for a pastor, a pastor teacher to come be part of the community who loves this body and will serve together with the other ordained pastors of this church as shepherds. And, and that whole bot, that group is not here to do our job. What is the point of all of that? To equip all of us to be ministers, to serve in the places we're sent to serve. And, and watch, and here's what I love. Again, do I understand a tenth of what this means? No. But listen to this and take in the language. I commend this. If you are praying for our committee, pray this. Because this is what I would love to happen. Watch. To equip his people, verse 12, for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Take the stained glass word. Together we learn how to trust that Jesus meant what he said. Together. Unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God. That is an intimate term. Adam knew his wife Eve. So that we don't just talk about God or sing about God. We experience the intimacy with God in our midst. And become mature. Oh my goodness, do we need a mature church? Don't you think Bonhoeffer said we need a church to grow up because 90% of them sold out to kill a race? 
Attaining, now this is, the, this is, again, I throw out the words I don't totally understand, but I long for. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I'm just scratching the surface, but I've come to believe that only when we come together do we drink deeply of what it means to have Jesus among us. And this isn't just in a local body. Again, I think it's across the body of Christ. Why it's so powerful that we're doing a process of listening to the Holy Spirit in other places. Listen, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I will not fully experience Jesus in this place until you have found your gift and use it. And it may be very quiet, maybe behind the scenes, it may be doing what you do, Miss Diane. It, whatever it is, I will not drink fully of the fullness of the measure of Jesus in this place until you find your gift and you use it, right? It is not about one person standing up here doing the work of God, God forbid. It's about us together kind of drinking deeply. And I don't know what this means, but he says only in unity together, when each part is doing its work, end of this passage, do we fully experience the measure, the gift that God has for us in this time and place. Mystical, powerful, isn't it? Yes, David. Just you talking about that fivefold ministry, and you mentioned that it's uh, apostles, uh, how they went to Antioch, how they listened to what was going on in Antioch. Um, I think that is, I feel like that's one of the, like the core piece that we, we miss as a church overall. Um, that is about, you know, that, that, that idea of taking time to give testimony, even taking time to talk about what God is doing in our own individual yes. lives, right. in the life of the things we're doing in our community, uh, just giving time to allowing the Spirit of God to talk among us and share what is actually happening in the kingdom. Yes. Um, you read stuff like Voice of the Martyrs yep. and publications that do that. Those are great and those are fa fabulous, almost fantastic stories. But if we take the time to listen to one another more and actually take time to share, give voice, right. to how God is working amongst this faith family, yes. that causes our faith to just explode yes, in passion. So and yep. in, I mean, it's just, there's a place where it's like laying down the fertilizer of, of for things to grow and for things to flourish. Yep. Um, and I think just bringing that out of this, it's that mystery of Christ. Not a lot more than that. It's just like, well, it's not really more than that. Right. It's just talking about how Christ is moving and working. Yes. And yes. being made known in the world. Uh, that's so good. something I think that I love that. is really important. And thank you for being one of those people who bring to us stories of what God's doing around the world. I, again, I used to just kind of put my head in the sand. It was enough. What, what's God doing right here? Um, or, or a way that, that the gift of our heritage has been turned, Right gifts always, usually our weaknesses come as the flip side of our gifts. One of the gifts of this heritage is, is local autonomy, right? So we don't have to listen to what's going on somewhere else. That's a gift. And what? Church. Local autonomy does not mean local solitary. <laughs> right? Yes, we're, we're here and, and we the shepherds are the ones who are responsible to discern what God's saying in this place but they discern it by paying attention to the voice of God across the world. We need to listen to what's happening in Africa and Ethiopia and in the Middle East and in China and around the block, right? Thank you so much. That's, that enriches us. Now let's, let's weave Bonhoeffer into this because there's some 
again, you can tell one of the reasons I picked this passage is because I'm, I'm, I'm teasing myself with things that are too, too, as Job says, too wonderful for me to know, right? And I want, I want God to take me deeper in it. Um, some of the stuff that comes in the second half of chapter one on community is like that with Bonhoeffer, right? It's his, his, his chief phrase, just spend some time in it. So I throw it out to you and I commend it to you. Let's talk about it for a moment and we'll wrap up. But he has two things he says, all right, big picture, the spiritual community, the church of Jesus Christ, your local body is a divine reality, he says. This is a God thing. Like God picked it. God drew us here. God brought the gospel to us. You didn't choose you. He chose you. And somehow by the workings of God, we are here in this place. Just for a second, we stop and own that. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, we can say that. Oh, it's cool. God did it. No, hold on. That has implications for us. And he suggests, too, we could add other things. Uh, the first one, I will, I will warn you, depending on your giftedness, this may offend you even. Um, because there was a, a Philip Camp uh, at Lipscomb wrote a book that we used in Intro to Ministry. He, he quoted this section, and whenever we would do critiques from students, they hated the section. Here's what I want to advise you to do. When there is a classic, just like we said before, don't just disagree with something. Listen for the truth of what it is saying, okay? So first thing he says is if the church is a divine reality, don't fall into the trap of the ideal. That's my line. Uh, his line is the church is a divine reality, not an ideal reality. And this is what he says. Um, <laughs> I, I skipped the part because I'll just, I'll go ahead and quote it. I, I think I didn't put it in here, but um, the, the line they hated is God hates visionary dreamers. Now hold on for a second before you react to that. We're literally visioning. It doesn't mean what we think it does, but this is what he says. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may ever be honest, earnest, and sacrificial. There's more to the quote, but hold on a bit. What is he talking about? Not, I mean, we literally just celebrated the work of God through a servant of God, Dr. King, who had a dream. Not talking about that. Not talking about what you guys are doing, envisioning with the church. This is what he says. We will get ideal visions of what the church is supposed to look like. And he said, you'll destroy the very church you're in if you impose on it your vision of an ideal church. Pastors do this all the time. I've been there. Say it again, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than the Christian community itself, the one they have, we talked about this one last week, become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions are good. God hates this wishful dreaming. All right, that's the part they hate it. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Is there not wisdom here? Okay, I'm not talking about, he's not talking about, don't pray and dream, God, where, you, where do you want us to go? Those who do this wishful dreaming become proud and pretentious. Those who dream this idealized community, listen to this, demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, set up their own law and expectations, and judge one another and even God accordingly. They stand out of it a living reproach to all others in the circle of community. They act as if they have to create the Christian community, as if their visionary ideal binds the people together. 
there is wisdom there. Can we hear it before we freak out and say, go pray, go vision, go dream. What is God saying? But do you hear what he's saying? I mean, any thoughts on that? I mean, I can unpack it a little bit too, but any, does that grab anybody here? It makes me go, oh my gosh, this, is, this describes a lot of the angst that a lot of people have when they go to church. Any thoughts on this? Say again, go. Go right back to the yoke of Jesus Christ teaching, the rabbi. Yeah. That is not burdensome. Not burdensome. It is light. Yes. It is a teaching of love, oh, love grace, it. humility. It is not sure. demanding. Right. It is love. You heard that language, don't you? Uh, Isn't it? Absolutely. It's a burden. You heard a yoke and you Haven't we all experienced all times in Christian community where, where somebody's idea of what God's supposed to do starts becoming the bricks in the backpack. Have you ever experienced that before? Now, let's be careful. You don't mean this, but some people, Jesus is a big ball of love. No, Jesus is very convicting. When it's Jesus' word, he may convict me to my core, but he's not, what does he say? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Well, I don't know, he asked you to go die. He's, he's saying it's a life-giving word, it's not bricks in the backpack. So can we watch for that? Discernment can we help us? not go to a visionary person or idea or ourselves. We've got it all figured out. What God's supposed to be doing in the world, this is exactly what it looks like, and then become, and Jesus says, make everybody twice as much the son as hell as we are. Because we load on them, quoting a bunch of passages here, burdens, Peter says, that we and our ancestors weren't able to bear. That's not what we're called to do. Isn't that, isn't that powerful? By the way, he explains why so often I can go to any community, family, group, whatever, and I can walk away discouraged because I've got this picture. Think about like every holiday, <laughs> right? You can change it to family and you've got it, right? We come into holiday season with our visionary, wishful dreaming about what a perfect holiday looks like and we place our demands on it and then we walk away discouraged because people didn't follow our, our picture. Does this not apply to human relationships? God says, beware, Bonhoeffer says, be weary of wishful, visionary dreaming that is really coming from the freight of what I want and not what God is calling us to. God's a visionary. Yes. Just the posture is what I was hearing when you were reading it. Of, and, I, and for me, I know I've done this. I think it's what God wants. I, I think I heard God say that. Like it, and it's right. It's not wrong. But when I put, it's the posture of, I think this is what should happen because it's a good thing. And then it's like, you know what I mean? Instead of that crying out to God or God, I don't know, that crying out day and night, just show, just help, I need you. And so that's just for my own self, but I can place it on others because if I get excited about something, I'm like, yeah, this is what God wants us to do. Let's do this. And that's not necessarily what he wants us to do. So like you're saying, it's in community that we tell each other what, you know, we hear from God when the other person tells us, this is what the wisdom that I have. This is what I'm seeing. And if two or three people are saying something different, then it's not what I thought it was, you know. But it's just, it's just a posture of humility versus pride. I mean, so. I love that picture of a posture. You know what, what story popped in my head as you were talking is the Samaritan woman. Has anybody ever had a more powerful vision of Jesus than this woman, right, who convicts her heart, who enables her to be one of the first people who, who get the actual words, I am the Christ. My favorite thing she does, she goes back to the city, 
And she said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. You know what she said next? Absolutely, positively, this is the guy and you need to go find him. Is that what she said? No. She said this, could this be the Christ? <coughs> of course it is. She knows it is. Could it be? I had this vision. Come take a look. Could it be? Can we do that in Christian community where we actually share with each other? Here's a passage that's been living in me, or here's a vision, here's a thought. Here's, could it be maybe? And then together, in a posture of humility, the vision of God comes out and not the vision of Dean or whatever else, right? Beautiful. All right, we got to wrap up here, but let me give you one, one more quote that he gives. So number one thing, don't fall in the trap of the ideal. The other is don't fall into the trap of merely human relationships. We'll be able to talk about this more, but this is one of those things I invite you to kind of swim in Bonhoeffer's head for a little bit because there's, there's some deep stuff going on here. Merely human relationships. He said this last time, I don't relate to you just one-on-one -on -one individually and directly. I relate to you through Jesus. Like when I come to you, I come with the expectation, here is a person who is made in the image of God, who has been gifted and graced by an experience of God, and who is broken just like I am, maybe in different ways. And I relate to people through Jesus. That sounds so preachery, but Bonhoeffer's not coming that way. He's come from a deeper place. So listen to this. Um, we don't relate directly and immediately to other people. We relate to people through Jesus. And then he says, here's the difference between human love and genuine spiritual love, right? Two marks of human love, two things that, that um, non-Jesus love is. Two factors, which are really one and the same thing, he says, reveal the difference between spiritual and human love. One translation says just merely emotional love. Human or emotional love cannot tolerate the letting go of a community that has become false, even for the sake of genuine communion. I'm like, what's up with that? One of the things he says is real God community actually cares about what's true and authentic and real. And I thought, okay, well, what's he talking about? Is that beating each other up about de uh, denominational differences and doctrinal differences? No, remember what he was facing. There was an entire group of people that were saying, I think God has called us to make one ideal human race, therefore we kill off other people. Is it fair to say that that community has become false? <laughs> Is that fair? He says, look, real community will be willing to say, hold on, that's not what God's calling us to, and we'll stand up against things when the entire community is getting sucked into something that ain't about Jesus. I think that's important. But here's the number two one. And it's, boy, it's simple and it's easy. Um, where is it? Uh, okay, so the first one's long, long, long. Here's the short one. Such emotional human love cannot love an enemy. The only way I will have the capacity to love someone, Ignatius's words, that I foolishly see as an enemy is if the power of Jesus is helping me to love them. Can't do it. That person that's driving me nuts doesn't mean, by the way, we have to go out and have backyard barbecue, but it does mean that I treat someone differently if I relate to them through Jesus than if I relate to them on my own juice. He said, purely human relationships are based on human desire and not God's purpose, and it will not give us the capacity or power to love beyond my own strength. And I don't know about you, but in today's world, I need God's strength to love the way that I need to love myself. And I think he calls us to that. Can we exercise the mystery that is all of us in this place? Number one, love what is real. People put up with a lot of fake relationships to feel love for a moment. Bonhoeffer says, let's love what is real and authentic and be willing to love when it is hard. I'm telling you, I believe if we allow God to do that in us, 
cosmos will shake, saying, oh my gosh, there's more than just these human beings doing this work. Let's pray. Father God, we realize again, I just, Job's words are so real here. We are speaking the thing, I am speaking of things too wonderful for me to know. The manifold wisdom of you, our God, coming out into the heavenly realms based on the way that you empower us by your spirit to love each other. I don't get it. And yet I've seen people love each other in radical ways and forgive each other in radical ways that cause divide. And I pray that you so inhabit this spiritual community that that's the direction we move to loving in radical, self-giving ways that would shock even the heavens when we do it. And then, Father, we, we are longing for these kind of relationships that we are loving and interacting and serving and caring for each other beyond the capacity of human strength. And then lastly, Father, I pray very practically again this week, would you give us some opportunity to serve as Paul did in a way that this could become a reality for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Love you all.